corporate culture, and team building? We'll talk about those on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog the Magnificent Show? Start the clock! And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. As always, a beautiful Thursday afternoon here in Long Island, New York, where I am. I hope it's a beautiful day wherever you happen to be listening. We're going to be talking today about uh, team building and creating a strong culture within your business. I have a great guest uh, ready for you. And oddly enough, uh, as I, I kind of alluded to, I told him just a few minutes ago, uh, in 250 or uh, so uh, interviews on this program. Uh, we hadn't had anybody from Louisiana, uh, until two days ago when I had, uh, Larry Jorgensen who wrote the book, Coca-Cola trail on. And so we had him on Tuesday night and today I actually have two Cajuns on, uh, uh, and so it's really, it, it, it's just astonishing somehow sometimes of the way these coincidences play out. Uh, so I, I be prepared for some uh, good old downhole. By the time this week is over, we're all going to be hungry for crawfish. I just tell you that. Um, uh, I need to move on with this product demo. You, If you follow the program, you know what, what's coming. And I'm really getting a little bit tired of it myself. And uh, I'm looking forward to October 29th when we can stop doing this online. I'm not sure if I'm going to um, continue it uh, offline after October 29th. But here's the deal. Two weeks ago, three weeks ago now, uh, Chris Burris from SES, SES Research uh, was on the program, and he was promoting this product called My Vital Scene. My Vital Scene. By the way, this is not a promo or a sponsorship in any way. This is an experiment in seeing how the product works. So he was on promoting this product, and uh, he basically made some extraordinary claims, uh, and I'll, I'll cut through the chase here. Uh, basically, the, the, the claims are that it can prolong your life by 90% or more, which is an extraordinary claim in itself. It will improve your life and uh, give you more energy, help you sleep better, give you better brain function, clarity of thought. Extraordinary claims. And as I am a skeptic in many things, I said to him, um, I am a skeptic. And he said, um, well, here's what we should do. We should have, have me back in six to eight weeks. And I'll send you a bunch of the stuff, and you can try it, and we'll review your results on air. I said, fair enough. So he sent me the stuff, and I've been doing it now. This is my 16th day. Uh, I've been doing it for 16 days and nights. And I will tell you that most of that time, I have re uh, gotten some real positive results. I had more energy, slept better. Uh, now, I had a brain function specialist on, somebody who... Uh, is a specialist in the science of brain power on last night. And I asked her what she thought of it. She talked about uh, cognitive fusion, which means simply that it's sort of a placebo effect. And the, the things that I am doing in expecting my life to be improved by this are adding to my feeling that I am doing better. In other words, because I'm taking this stuff, I'm exercising more and, and, and being more vital. And that's uh, helping to uh, create the illusion that this stuff is responsible for uh, me feeling better. Either way, we'll find out. Uh, uh, and I'm not a big uh, 
proponent of the placebo effect, and I'm not sure that how much uh, how suggestible I am to that, but I'm open-minded to that as well. So we'll see. But uh, the reason I'm doing it on the air is twofold: is first to hold myself accountable, and secondly to have some video proof of it. You see me doing it every day. We know, in fact, that I am following through, and there is absolutely proof of it. So uh, whatever the results are. Uh, we have verification that I followed the the procedure exactly as I supposed to. So you, it comes in two forms: this sh shot form and this little squeeze tube thing. Uh, the daytime I do this little Nyquil type shot. I need to take it with a water chaser because it tastes really awful. Here goes, and that's it. That's basically it, folks. Now um, I am going to suggest to him that you know they can make cough syrup taste somewhat less terrible they should be able to make this stuff taste somewhat less terrible on to my sponsors really quick before i bring my guest in funwise capital uh, business lender matching platform their lender matching platform gets you the best credit lines guaranteed you can apply online in 60 seconds or less and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business you heard me correctly i said start or grow your business if you don't have a business but you got a solid business plan you can get funding Get the best funding you qualify for, you can qualify for. The strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at zero percent interest for nine to fifteen months. You can't beat that, folks. Zero percent. Uh, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short term gap funding, or bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups, as I mentioned, our, uh, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. You just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. I do appreciate you uh, patronizing my sponsors. I'm uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Billy Arsema. Uh, the Candid Cajun brings a variety of experiences to the platform and to his clients. He is a former high school science teacher and coach and a senior corporate quality safety and environmental manager for a chemical manufacturing company. Today, he provides his clients leadership solutions to improve their performance. A prolific author, he has written five books and over 300 articles on leadership, management, personal success, and uh, school board service. He's a 40-year member of the National Speakers Association and speaks to corporate, associ uh, corporate association and government clients throughout the United States. Billy's refreshing sincerity, great humor, knowledge, and genuine caring for people are his brand. He is he has the unique ability to make a complex simple and share thought-provoking and insightful ideas and make time with his audience fun. He uses stories of the antics of the most famous Cajuns, Baudreau and his friends, to drive home the points of his message. Learning and laughter, a winning combination, permeates every presentation. Uh, be ready to pass a good time with this South Louisiana Cajun. Uh, please open your ears and open your minds and help me welcome in Billy Arsenal to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Billy, hey, welcome. Hey. How Great are to you? Be here, Matt. Yes, yes. I'm excited. Uh, and it's hard to get a Cajun excited, so uh, we're we're excited <laughs> to be here. <laughs> well, well, you're you're the second of three this week, and and that's a, an exciting new uh, change for for us. And um, whoop, nice hand. Uh, I'm trying to move the camera <laughs> a little bit. I'm sorry. That's uh, it's, 
is slipping away. All that, right. That's fine. That you know, things happen here. It's live TV. People don't expect uh, perfection in production values here. What's really important is that we kind of give them something of value and some great information. And I know you're going to be able to do that. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm going to try to combine the, the concepts of culture formation in an organization, along with using that environment to create a great team which you need to have in any organization. Um, I, I thought about something this morning, and I, I think I'm right when I say it. Um, each of us has our own culture. We are individual cultures. When you wow. look at what the elements make up, you know, what a good culture is, when you look at those as I share about six or seven points with you on that topic today, um, you will see that, um, it really fits you as well. So um, uh, can I start with just telling you what I think culture is? And we please, can kind of please, please, because I think we, we, are, we use words assuming people understand what they mean and, and what we mean by them. And that's not often the case. So please yeah, give us your definition of what culture is. Very simply, it's how we do things here. It's how we do things here. Uh, <laughs> think about that. I mean, that we could be more formal and we could, you know, be different uh, and sound like we're intelligent. <laughs> but really and truly, uh, what we do in an organization is what we do as part of our culture. And all the things combined that we do as part of our culture really comes down to the way we do things. So if you th that's what made me think about myself this morning. How do I do things? Because I'm in a renaissance of sorts now with the virus. I'm trying to, you know, rejuvenate my speaking business, even though it, it's non-existent with, with audiences today. Uh, so I'm thinking about what do I do? And I really have to create a new culture here for myself in the way I do things so that as a result of that, I can be productive and make some money, which is the ultimate <laughs> objective of the whole process. So uh, um, you react, and I'll, I'll start giving you some, what I call seven key components of culture. And I want you to think about them for yourself personally and your audience members as well. And for anybody that's in an organization that they like or don't like, it, it kind of tells you what that culture is all about. So I think it all starts with what's the vision or mission that you might have. You have a vision for your mind dog TV, obviously, and you're working that that process and building yourself into an entity that people can identify with. Uh, you really need to know what you stand for before you can stand for anything. Right. And as a result of that, the vision you have for your life, for your organization and the mission uh, defines how you behave. And of course, ultimately, the behavior creates the culture. So um, what's the vision that you have? Think about your vision. I mean, can you articulate that for just a minute or so? Tell us what's your vision for Mind Dog TV? 
Well, I, my vision is to encourage people to think for themselves, free thinking and independent thinking, rather than have media or outside influences dictate the words that come out of your mouth unthought of, so you don't filter them through your own brain. You can't even uh, uh, articulate things in your own words. You're using somebody else's words all the time, and that causes you to not ever think about the things you're saying. So my vision here completely is to encourage free thinking, open-mindedness, and using your own brain instead of letting other people tell you what to think. <laughs> and that's really uh, what each of us should have for our life. I mean, we should be independent people. You remember I said we have our own individual culture. You're creating right. it with that mindset. And I, I think if you look at the little dash following my name, that just popped up as a branding item in the last couple of years. I started thinking about my management style, how I led people for 30 years in the private sector, how I teach leadership now to audiences. Uh, and the one thing that I kept coming back to was that I share truth. I don't BS you. I don't try to impress you with what I know that stupid stuff. I try to give you the truth as I see it. Now, it's my opinion, my observation, obviously, but I try to make sure truth is really truth and not just an opinion that Billy has. Right. So, so I think that my evaluation of myself is I've always been very candid. Uh, I never, I never spoofed my employees. <laughs> they knew exactly where I stood on anything that we did. And I try to give them the freedom to tell me what's on their mind, and we, we get together and we create a different culture, we create a different environment that's better for both of us to work in. Uh, so um, that's how I came up with that little tagline, and I like it a lot, really. I actually own the website, Candid Cajun. I haven't done anything with it, but I own that URL. I'll sell it for about half a million bucks if anybody wants to buy it, uh, but seriously, uh, so, so what's your vision? <laughs> Let's get down back to this point. What's your vision? What's your mission? Think about that as you as as your life. What's your life's mission? I I have a vision for my life, uh, and what what the vision and mission does is it brings you back on track. In other words, when you stray off the main road and get into the the woods out there, uh, if you understand what it is you're about, you will say, "Holy, you know what?" I'm not going on the right road. I need to go back. So it brings you back to reality. So that's what the vision and mission is designed to do. And to give you consistency across the organization. Now, the other thing that's important in culture is what are your values and what do you believe in? Right. <laughs> core values and principles. Exactly. Yes. If yeah. I hire you and your core values and principles don't match mine, I, I got a problem. Not you. I have a problem. Right. Because we're going we're going to clash. We're going to clash. Sure as hell, we're going to clash. And as a result of that, it's chaos, and it's not pro productive. It's not. It's not something you want in the workplace. So, don't hire a misfit. That really is the key here. Right. Screen you screen your pro your prospects very carefully, and the closer you can align what you believe in in your culture and the people believe in that you bring in, the better the mesh, 
the more powerful the results you can produce. That's a given. So in an organization, let people know what your values are. Let people know what your beliefs are. And then if they disagree with that, give them the option to look somewhere else for work. Right. I mean, right. really, that's, that's about as fair as you could be with them. That's that's absolutely true, and that's something that's come up a lot recently. And I'm a big proponent of uh, it's really hard to fix a culture once somebody is in somebody who doesn't fit in your culture is in the company. It's really hard to fix that after the fact. So I I always uh, I've been saying quite often a bit lately is that we tend to hire based on experience and resume and skills and things like that, not on do you align with our core values and principles. And I yes. think that's where most companies go wrong is not really asking those important questions on at the prior to the hiring are what are your core values and principles and and then examining that answer to say do they match with the company or not and if and if not no matter how good your skills are no matter how great your resume looks on paper you're not a proper fit here you're going to not fit into the yeah, mold you will be a misfit exactly i'll tell you a chauvinistic story perhaps i shouldn't say it with the me too it's not that bad but I managed the quality control when I worked in the chemical plant. That was my first management job. I had product quality. And because I had a laboratory environment primarily, and when females were being wanted to be added to the chemical plant environment, but not in operations, because that's a tough deal sometimes for, for some females, not all of them. Uh, so I got blessed with being the first manager to have a female in the plant itself. And I resisted it, I must tell you, initially, because I was concerned. But, you know, I had a boss that I really liked working for, and, and he was very sincere about helping me, and I said, what the heck? So we interviewed, and I hired a young lady. Uh, she worked out quite well. She worked for me for 28 years, so I guess she worked out okay. Uh, then I had a second female who was a little different character, and the one thing I did with her is we would go to the office and pick people up in the, in the company pickup truck and drive them back into the plant uh, you know, itself. And uh, I didn't open the door for her. Now, why, why did I do that? Um, I'm not sure, but I know that that's been a really uh, hot topic lately. Please well, the thing why. about it is, <laughs> if you want equal treatment, then you have to accept what equality is. I don't open the door for the men, you know what I'm saying? And, and yeah. it wasn't to be ugly or snivy or, or a, a stupid, you know, crazy guy. I need to see her reaction. And, and to her credit, she didn't wait for me. She just opened the door, got in, and that set a nice tone for me that she was willing to put up with the things in our environment as an equal. And that's all I wanted for her, to be treated equally, but not to expect favors because she was a female. Right. Uh, and I think that was very important. And she worked for me for 28 years as well. So I never lost a female employee. I had two, three actually, one quit. She was too pretty and too smart. And I, I had to run guys out of the control room, <laughs> out, of my, out of my lab. But I knew I wouldn't keep her. But she was the first female I hired and, and a really, really great employee. Uh, she just needs to do something else in shift work. But my two ladies that worked for me were outstanding. Uh, I love working with them. 
we had a great relationship and the guys in the plant treated them as equals and that's all I wanted I just didn't want you to expect something different than anybody else could get so that's what I mean by having the value in the beliefs, belief systems and the uh, the relationships that you, you have and it worked out quite well so uh, just a sidebar that I remember doing I'm not sure I would do that today but maybe so I don't know I don't know what I would do today uh, next thing you need in your culture is you need to have the right people as we talked about but you need to have some kind of systems in the mid 80s I paid my way to go to North Carolina to meet a guy named Nito Cobain and Nito has since become a, a good friend he is now president of High Point University in High Point North Carolina he's a graduate of that school he's a multi-millionaire and the, one of the most generous and philanthropic people that I've ever met in my lifetime and I wanted to know this guy I wanted to see what made him tick so I went to North Carolina and spent a day and a half with him as part of a, a business offering he was making speakers with no intention of taking it he wanted to publish a book for me and I had no money to publish a book and it was like 20 grand in those days so I uh, but I just went to listen to him and I, I spent that day and a half really trying to dissect Nito and when the whole session was over I said I want to describe you with three words that I think fit you he said okay try it first thing I said is that you are focused and he is the most incredibly focused individual I ever met first thing was focus second thing was systems he's very systematic he doesn't have a high-five plan it's well thought out directed towards a certain endpoint and and very well organized and structured so he's got focus he's got systems and here's the third thing that might throw you off guard I told him the third word was clutter and he looked at me kind of funny I said you have none you have no clutter in your life you're so focused you're so organized that you don't waste a minute of life and we let clutter get in our way of being productive absolutely uh, it's, it's a human trait now that was about 85 1985 so that's many years ago I have looked around to organizations and individuals for an exception to those three points never found one Wow never yeah. found one and, and I've developed a talk around those three points um, and, and did it many times I haven't done it well actually I did it for a group just recently um, I think last fall um, but my point here is that the people you have are important and the organizational structure you have is very important and it starts with having a focus which goes back to the vision and mission mission statement that's your focus uh, the systems help you organize yourself so that you things run smoothly you know it, it's not haphazard there's a structure to the process and then the third point I think it's the most important it is remove the clutter from your life and clutter can be anything there's no strict definition of clutter it might be your golf game 
It, it might be a club that you love to go to. It might be the local bar that you like to get a beer at occasionally. It could be your kids, really, in a way that if they dominate your life needlessly. Um, so, so clutter can be defined as many, many things. Now, I've got a solution to clutter. Okay, I'm going to give you the problem without the solution. It's a hard word. I always tell audiences you have to practice it with me. I'm going to tell you first what it is. I want you to say out loud to make sure you understand it. And that magic word is no. No? At K-N-O-W? No. No. N-O. Okay. Yes. What I'm saying is that you have to learn to say no oh, to yeah. the clutter. Okay. It's the, it's the opposite of the clutter. Uh, and that's the only way to do it. You have to say no to yourself, no to friends, no to family, no to even yourself, maybe, you know, if you're that courageous, um, to, uh, <laughs> to say, I can't do it. You know, I can't do it uh, because, and then always have a rational reason. But if it's clutter and it's wasting your life, then I say to you, I don't know why I'm static here. All right. Uh, I say to you, um, learn the magic word, which is no. Okay. So number four goes back to my quality concepts. Um, I used to teach continuous improvement. That's part of the TQM way back, uh, Edward Demings, right. uh, the father of quality uh, back in the many years ago, 50 years ago, maybe Edward Demings. Back in World War Two. Yeah, I think um, that was nineteen forty-five. So we're, we're yeah, yeah, <laughs> we're a long time ago. Uh, so um, Deming talked about continuous improvement, and all that is simplistically is that you're never satisfied. There is no endpoint to your efficiency, your outcome, your desire to achieve. You're constantly fine-tuning. Toyota built their business on suggestions from employees for continuous improvement of that product. And the Toyota car started from a bucket of trash to one of the more efficient and effective automobiles on the market today. Um, so, so continuous improvement needs to be part of your process. It, it means you, you're not complacent or satisfied, uh, at least totally. You can be, I'm, I'm not saying that you're you're running a marathon race here. That's not what I'm implying. But you need to know that um, you can't be satisfied where you are. Even the slightest tweak might make a difference. Um, it, it doesn't have to be a dramatic improvement. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. It may be one millimeter of change relative to what change can be. But it's always in the progressive progress process that makes sense to you yeah uh, but i do have some questions about it please um well it, it, can it be too much like um there's also i i understand continuous uh continual improvement but there's also the uh the um uh, cliche i guess don't fix it if it ain't broke and i'm looking at the current and social media is not you know it's not a uh something i'm in love with but it, it's a necessary thing for this program to have and i'm yeah. looking at the new facebook and they they continually changing it and thinking they're improving it, even though the audience is giving their customers are giving them really bad feedback that you went you went wrong here you 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 didn't improve it you made it worse because so the idea that uh, just continually changing things is not always an improvement you need to kind of be listening 
to uh, your audience feedback or your, your, your even your internal customers, uh, your internal customers, your workforce, their yeah. feedback on is this truly an improvement or is it a step backwards for us? No, you're exactly right. And thanks for bringing that point up because it's, it's, it's an important thing to consider as we talk about continuous improvement. Um, techies that change website design unnerve me yeah. <laughs> many times for the exact reason you just say, my God, I just got used to doing my banking online and now you changed the damn website. Right. You know, so, so it's frustrating. And I think you hit the key. It's the feedback from the customer that drives the improvement. That's right. important. Uh, we would talk a lot with our clients. I started, we didn't have any um, interaction with our customers. That was all done by our VP of sales in the, in the chemical plant that I worked in. And I'm quality manager and I got people using my product. And initially it was crappy. I'll be honest with you. It was not good quality. It was the only plant in the world designed like this. And we sued and won the, the patent. So I told you how bad it was. <laughs> and we spent millions, you know, perfecting the equipment and refining the quality of the product to the needs of our customers. And I would have many conversations with people about something that might have went wrong. And, and then they would have a chemist from Columbus, Ohio, that would go to them who wasn't in my plant. who was, was a wonderfully brilliant man. But he's not in that plant every day. He doesn't know the issues that we have. Right. And I got fed up with that, not because he couldn't do it, because I thought we should be in charge of that part. So I, I called the meeting together of the two company vice presidents that at that time owned our company before we went public, VP of sales and my boss, who was the plant manager. And I put my program on the table and um, I got shot down like a duck in a shooting gallery. Uh, <laughs> It was an ugly meeting, to put it mildly, and I didn't make any progress. So I remember walking out of that room when everybody left, and I walked directly into my boss's office. And I looked him in the eye, and I said, we will have this program. I don't care what Dave thinks. We need this program, and I'm going to do it. And he just kind of looked at me and started laughing. Uh, because uh, he knew I was right. Fast forward a few months, customer called, wanted me in that plant Monday morning. This was the Friday afternoon in Pittsburgh. It was a paint company, PPG Paints. I can tell you exactly who it was. I called my boss and I said, unless you tell me no, I'm booking my flight to Pittsburgh this afternoon. And I tell him why. He said, what do you know about paint? And I said, nothing. But I know a customer in need when I hear it. So unless you tell me no, I'm going to book my flight. He says, ah, go ahead. Now, backtrack one second. The VP of sales says, stay the heck away from my customers. That was wow. his last word. Wow. So I didn't call him. Got on the plane. Monday morning, the guy is standing at the door waiting for me at 8 o'clock. They got problems. Long and short of it is, I listened to what he said. We figured out what the issue was. I had no solution at that point. I went back to the plant, threw it together with a team. We talked about team building and our culture. We put a team of people together from maintenance, from production, and from the product to us in the lab. And uh, they came up with a solution. 
uh, we literally sold them the dust coming off the grinding process because it was such a fine product and they were going to mix it with paint and you need not have like sand in the paint so aesthetically it works that dust solved the problem they were able to meet the new customer demands we created a new product line at a premium price i got a raise or promotion and then dave loved me after that point and wow. for the next for the next 20 years i traveled around the world meeting with clients and serving them the right way so um, continuous improvement drove that i just wasn't happy where we were okay so let me give you point number five employee engagement you have to engage your employees we would have once a year uh in addition to our normal day-to-day -day conversation we would meet once a year as a team all my lab technicians and people that work for me and we and i would say what are you doing that you think you shouldn't be doing what are you wasting your time doing for somebody else and they might give me a, a test you know they'll say look i run this test nobody takes the data and does anything with it so i would then go to production and say what are you going to do with this test do you need it we'll keep doing it but if you're not using the thing i'm cutting it out the schedule and i'll replace it with something more relevant to your needs and we did that on a regular basis. We would drop things, add things. It was always about our customers were production people. That was our customers, the first customer. And then from that point on, if we made it right in the plant, I could sell it to any one of my customers outside the, the plant gotcha. environment. So uh, we engage our employees. Our employees uh, were engaged in the process and, and our management team trusted what our employees said. I remember I had, a, I had a, an environmental issue going on in the effluent going to the out the plant into the river Mississippi River where we pumped under permit and I was in danger of exceeding my permit and I had no clue why it all the things didn't make sense the data I was gathering so I went in the control room where gathered all the operators and I said somebody in this room has a solution I don't so here's the dilemma and I told what I needed Within 30 minutes, actually one of my ex-students that I taught in high school, who was now a plant operator, came to me with a, a beaker of liquid and says it was an ammonia issue. And he said, smell this. Well, obviously it reeked with ammonia. He says, would this cause your problem? I said, yes, it would. Somebody had hooked the wrong line to the pump seal. And consequently, I was pumping ammoniated water into the pump and out the river and creating some permit danger now we engaged employees and i trusted they knew what they were doing it took 30 minutes to solve a problem i might have spent a week trying to figure out because i had already spent several days not knowing what the heck was causing all this problem so engage your employees use the knowledge they're, they're smart people uh, we hire new engineers high school graduate operators would run them under the ground they knew that plant and the engineer would have to learn it under their tutorage really so don't underestimate the power of employees some of my best suggestions for continuous improvement came from the people that work for me not necessarily from me directly so i think that's a, a lesson i learned many many years ago uh consistency is a key in any environment um i, I call it predictability as a boss, you should be very predictable. 
Meaning that if I if I give you a certain circumstance, then I should know as your employee how you're going to react to that. I should almost be able to predict your reaction. Um, and when you work for someone like that, that's a valuable, valuable plus for you. Because now you know how to behave. You know how to react to them the right way that they react to you in a positive fashion. So the consistency of your decision making, the consistency, the consistency of how you follow the vision and the mission you've articulated to me, the consistency with which you live the values and the beliefs that you have told me about, and, you know, and all the things that I've expounded on earlier, uh, it's very important that the consistency be there. Uh, I, I often tell people when I do leadership training, this is the biggest factor that will get you in trouble, inconsistency. Right. You, you behave inconsistently, and I promise you, you will eventually get in trouble. Right. Consistency so, builds trust. And if, when you're inconsistent, you break that trust pretty quickly. You're exactly right. Good, good add-on, Matt. <laughs> good add-on. And yeah. the last thing is I, I call language, which is how you talk, the words you use, what they mean, the conversations that you have with, with people. Uh, that, that makes up your culture and, and gives you a sense of uh, what's happening, how things are done, all the things we've talked about. And there's a whole lot of other things that we could be talking about. Culture is a very large and long, looming topic. But I think it's important that those seven things, um, if, you, if you pay attention to them and carry them out the right way, you're going to create a pretty good culture. Unless you've got values like stealing and robbery. You know what I'm saying? Unless yes. you're immoral and unethical. Right. Uh, right. As long as you're on the good trail of life, uh, I think these create a culture that's very important. Well, if I, if I may, because I uh, everything you said resonated with me extremely well. Because uh, the last management position I had that I walked away from five years ago uh, and said, you know, I'm done with a corporate culture and all that stuff, and decided to go do what I want to do with my life. The last yeah. management position I had, I walked in the door uh, and within one day I could spot, number one, there was a culture problem with, with, the, uh, with the organization. And I went to the CEO and I said that to him in, in very blunt, frank language. I said, you have a culture problem here. And he looked at me like I had two heads and didn't have any clue what I was talking about. And this, this is what I said to him. Your culture here is problem focused, not solution focused. Yes. So we before you said I never bring a problem without a solution. We had a company of where every single person in that company could identify problems. Not one of them was offering a solution because they did not feel engaged and they didn't feel like management was even listening to them. So yes. why bother come forth with a solution? All they wanted to do was bitch about what was not working and what was wrong with the company rather than saying, I have an idea about how to fix it. And because they felt ignored, they pushed, they were that inclination to even propose a solution was pushed aside. Now you talked about the mission statement and the mission statement became just words hanging on a poster and nobody could I really, really identify with that. So everything you just said kind of ties together with that one situation. And it was a long, long fix to try to get senior management first to buy into this. You need to listen to your employees, engage them and 
ask them and 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 make them feel heard because when they feel heard they're going to stop being that negative nilly and and just looking for problems and then they're going to start to come to you with solutions but that was a tough sell so all everything you just said kind of res- resonated with me and i'm sure people out there listening uh, well, i hope if, so yeah i hope so uh i'll give you one more story before i get to another section uh, of my my ideas to present to you and we kind of moved maybe to teamwork a little bit because I don't want to miss that point. But I looked around. I would always look around and ask myself, what needs to be done that no one is doing that I can do? Right. And I built my career unknowingly with, with that mindset. And it took me in my first book that I wrote in 1995. I was writing about success on the job, and I and I said that to myself, and I said, "Gee whiz, that's how I built my career." I looked around and I said, "What needs to be done that nobody's doing that I can do?" And then I either did it if I could do it without authority, or I asked permission to do it. And one one year, many years after I had been with the company, I thought about how much I didn't know about how our product was used in the marketplace. So we sold to production units that made water treatment chemicals or made uh, plastic laminate, which people commonly call Formica. Uh, Formica was a client of ours. Uh, A plastic laminate is what you call Formica probably, or some people call Formica. Um, I asked our plant manager, well, president of the company at that point, he had moved up and we had gone public and I got the VP of sales, a new guy. And I said, I want to visit all of our customers that generate 80% of our revenue. And I want to go into that facility and not meet with the sales guy, not meet with the purchasing agent. I want to talk to the plant operators, the guys who physically put their hands on our product and do something with it. And everybody, that was a, uh, a very well-received idea. So on my own, I called companies. And I set up my own meetings. And I did it in clusters. You know, upper, northeast, northwest, south, wherever part we could be sold across the globe. So I started uh, in your area, up in, in the Massachusetts area. Um, um, uh, let me think. We had clients there. And it, I just went literally across the country. And our, our total revenue probably came from less than 30 companies uh, around, around the U.S. And um, so I did a cluster of four or five companies. And I would travel, say, to the Seattle, Washington area. And I'd go to Oregon. I'd go to different places in Washington where we had clients. And I spent about four days or so on the road. Then I would wait a little bit and I'd go to another section. And I literally did that over the course of one year. That was the most educational venture that I ever did in 30 years that I worked in the chemical business. Um, I learned more, and as a result of that, I could take that information and help other customers without revealing, you know, uh, secret stuff that I might have been given by my client, although they were very, very close-lipped about that kind of stuff. But it was amazing because uh, I went in and I asked the people who used the product. What trouble are you having? You know, uh, 
what worked for you, what doesn't work, when are you having trouble, what's going on, and we went on and on and on, and I learned so much about manufacturing things like fiberglass, like water treatment chemicals, like glue, like all kinds, of, like the laminate. Uh, it, it was amazing education for me personally, and I think an invaluable piece of information for the company to use to enhance our own relationship with our customers. So look around and see what needs to be done. Nobody's doing it. Ask permission to do it and grow your career. It really is that simple. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's see what else I can tell you here. Uh, I think it's important that you treat people like they're part of a team, not employees. I'm kind of of transitioning now to our next topic. But but I think when you look at people as a team member versus an employee, you have a different perspective. You have a different respect for them. You know, and I think you mentioned earlier in, in your comments, listening is so critical. Listening is so critical. So um, that's an important part. Uh, but I think you need to have conversations with employees that have meaning, not triviality. Right. Be truthful. Give them the truth. You know, if the company is losing their tail off financially, employees need to know that. Don't don't hide that from them because your pride as the president of the company or the owner of the company gets in the way of reality. Tell right. people the truth. We went two solid years without a raise, without virtually anything, and we would shut the plant down for three months, and we operated for three months. Wow. And we did that for two solid years. Not one company employee got laid off. People started painting the plant that were plant operators. You know, we, we let go of our contract maintenance people, or some of them, but the company employees kept their job for two years of literally not making a profit. I think one year we made 50,000 bucks, which is nothing. Wow. Uh, so I think that was because we were truthful. Employees knew things were not good, that money was not being made, and that we said, what can you do to help us? cut costs, do things. And people said, hell, I'll, I'll paint the plant, you know, instead of operating the plant. And in three months, we're down. We'll clean up. We'll do things. And we survived. And then things turned around almost overnight. And consequently, we went on to some pretty productive and profitable years. So um, be truthful. That's very important. Be caring. I got to like you and care for you as an employee. Right. I've, lost two, I've lost two younger employees that work for me within the last couple of three years, they both passed away. Uh, one, I did not know. Uh, I, I met her, 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 let's see, I met a relative. She was his aunt. She had not married. And he was in one of my sessions I did. And I saw his name, where he was from. And I mentioned to him, well, I had somebody that worked for me with your last name. And he said, well, that was my aunt. I said, oh my God, well, how is she doing? She died. <laughs> Okay, I didn't know that. No one bothered <laughs> to tell me. Uh, so, and she, but she had Parkinson's, very bad, you know, very bad case of Parkinson's. So it was inevitable. And the other one had a stroke, a horrible stroke. He didn't even recognize anybody. And in the course of less than a week, he passed away. So I've lost two people that worked for me for almost 30 years, the two of them, you know, individually. Um, 
you, you lose a little sleep over that. You worry about that, you know, because you care. And I think that's important. And I'm not saying you need to hug them and, and uh, you know, slobber over them. <laughs> they know you care when you care. Uh, you just treat them with respect. That's all they're looking for, respectability and engagement and, and contributions, those kinds of things. Um, I think you need to talk about performance improvement. You need to have those kind of conversations with people. You know, let's go back to the truth. <laughs> I'll, I'll tell this story. What the heck? Um, I had a good employee, my best, really hardworking employee, that had a, a body odor issue. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> okay. And people started complaining. Yeah. And, and, and we ignored it. We meaning that everybody in the company, not just my department. Um, we ignored it till it got to an elevated level that it was not tolerable anymore. So by that time I had a young supervisor running the lab. I was no longer director of supervising the lab, but I had other duties like safety and environmental and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the customer service thing that I just share with you. So, um, he was afraid he was younger and afraid to have that conversation. So I said, bring him in. So we brought him in, we sat him down, the three of us. And I said, I'm taking my, I'm taking my manager's hat off and putting it on the table. And I'm putting my friend hat on for you. And I said, I care about you. I, I, I enjoy the fact that you work here and you work for me in this department. But here's the situation, then I put it on the table. And he got a bit frustrated and I guess insulted for just a second. And I said, look, I'm not judging. All I'm asking for is correction. All right. Because people are complaining and it's impacting on your reputation. Forget the fact that there's an older issue. Your reputation is being defamed because of that. So I said, all I'm asking you to do is be sure you shower every day. Be sure your clothes are not, you know, three days old and in the hamper and you put them back on. Uh, just come with clean clothes and, and a, a fresh bath and some deodorant and let's see how that works out. Never had the problem again. <laughs> uh, and I don't know what the problem was. It doesn't matter. We corrected it by being truthful, by caring, you know, and, and wanting the best. Uh, I'll do one last thing. I, I'll skip something because I want to get to more team building. Uh, it's important that you establish relationships. I think everything in a business is built on relationships internally as well as externally. Um, we had a we had a jerk, literally. I will use that term. Uh, that was our VP of sales for a while. I won't mention who it was. That's not important. <laughs> but he literally dropped the Formica business, and Formica was one of our bigger customers because he couldn't get along. I had been to that Formica plant. I had met the, the purchasing person. And the engineer in charge of production. They were good, I'd say good friends, but they were people that I had established a strong relationship with. And when this guy cut off the supply of our product to Formica, I got the call. The, 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 uh, the, the um, purchasing manager called me, it was a woman, and she said, What's going on? She says, I am calling you because you will tell me the truth. And I said, well, here it is. <laughs> you better look for another supplier because this guy will not sell you product. 
Wow. And I said, I hate to tell you that, but that's the honest to God truth. And and she appreciated that very much. And of course, we lost the business. But I got the call because of the relationship that I had established. And I tried to do that with all of my customers. Um, I think one of the best compliments my boss gave, one of my people that I work for, told me, he said, if somebody comes in my office and tells me they can't get along with you, I'm going to ask them what their problem is. <laughs> and I thought that was a good compliment. I really appreciate him saying that. And I think I can get along with pretty much anybody, honestly. You know, even even the SOB sometimes it's hard to get along with, but I can put I can put up with it because establishing that relationship and building from that is important for anything that will to work. And my job is to make things work, you know, with my clients and with, with the employees when I was in there. Uh, I'm gonna take a breath. Let's go to team building very quickly. Right. How much time do we have left? You tell we, me. Uh, we got about uh, seven and a half minutes left. Oh, okay. Let me pick the best things. Um, I think you need to have collaboration. A, a team is a collaborative effort, uh, a cooperative effort in your thinking process, in your planning. Uh, no man is an island, and everybody should learn that you need other people. You don't have to. You don't have to be dependent. That's not where I'm going with that. Right. But you need to be open enough to be collaborating and cooperating to get things done. Um, you need to participate, get people involved. Uh, if you're the boss, involve your employees, as I said just a few minutes ago. Build that synergy where everybody loves each other to the point where they are working together. One of the hallmarks of the company I work for, which is now gone, it's, it's been dismantled and it longer is in existence. Uh, I, I left and they went out of business, right? <laughs> no, seriously. Uh, 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 they, um, we had an environment that I think is almost unequal in a lot of companies. It was such a team atmosphere. There were some managers I did not like. There were some managers that didn't like me, I'm certain. But we worked together. We never let our personal animosity of opinion get in the way of the greater good of the company. And that's what I loved about that company. And I stayed as long as I did with it because of that attitude and that environment. Because if it had been anything else, I'd have done like you. I'd have drug up and hit the road and done my own thing. Uh, so that's important. Uh, and the thing that's important with teamwork is building leadership skills. Um, that's where the rubber meets the road with leadership. So as part of your environment in creating a good team, build some leaders, teach leadership skills. Um, it's one of the greatest skill sets that I've been able to master in my lifetime. And I started very young, you know, um, president of my class with eight students in the entire class, you know, but I won the election uh, and I beat a girl. I mean, that was really, uh, uh, you know, uh, a big thing in those days. So I'm in the eighth grade, you know, and, and, and I started leading. And, and I had a, a, a nun, uh, Sister Mary Rayfield. I love that woman till the day I die. She was an encourager. And I think that's important in the team process that you be an encourager. Oh. You, you never could do something bad with her. Even if it was bad, 
she would find a way to turn it around because I ran for class president in the seventh grade and got beat. And I remember her words to this day. She said, Billy, try again. You can do it. So wow. she encouraged me not to not to take defeat and quit. She encouraged me to keep trying. And she would do things that like that with all of us in, in the class. It was a small class, as I said. Uh, we had seven and eighth graders together, you know, in, in, in that small school. We might have had 20 kids in the classroom. Uh, and half the time they teach eighth grade stuff. The other half they teach seventh grade stuff. So I went through every grade twice when I had that set up. Uh, which is why I could be the valedictorian of my elementary school. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> the point is, uh, I learned leadership very young, and I saw it as a powerful tool in an arsenal of things we need to be successful in life. And it's, I think it's what I do best. Um, and, and I have prospered as an individual doing leadership training for the last 20 years, really, since I've been out on my own. Um, it's, it's my focus. I, I've written some books on it. My latest book, I hold up <laughs> on Amazon called become the best version of yourself. It's really about self leadership. I gave away those 21 lessons in my, in my training many, many times. And one day about two years ago, I woke up and I said, Holy crap, this could make a pretty good book. So I started writing. I printed some copies to give my kids last Christmas a year ago but I forgot one thing I had not completed the editing process I thought I had oh. and there were mistakes in it and my daughter gently pointed it out to me <laughs> <laughs> daddy I think you have a few errors in your book so I said no way I, I did the editing and I went back and looked and I realized I was doing another book simultaneously and I was confusing the two and what? I had not edited the book, but just a small portion. So I spent the next six or eight months, literally, reading that book three or four times. I'm sure there's still an error, but I'm not going. I'm not going to panic over it. It's so much better than it was initially. Sounds and, like she inherited the candid gene from you. Yeah. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. She did, and I appreciated the fact that she told me that. Both my daughters are pretty candid. My sons are more laid back a little bit even though they can be very candid, but I think they're more passive in their, in their behavior. Not that my daughters are aggressive. They're not by any stretch. They're not women livers or, you know, that kind of stuff. They're very conservative in their thought process, but they'll tell you, my youngest daughter is a therapist. So she <laughs> has to be truthful. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's important that we, we, we care, but we were truthful and, when we build our team, that we align ourselves in a way that uh, we're all moving in the same direction simultaneously, that we're yeah. not going on a tangent and not doing our own thing. Uh, I'm, as you, I kidded you early on when we first got together, I showed you my LSU shirt. Uh, I've been listening to LSU football since I'm about six years old, and that's a long, long time. <laughs> I loved LSU. Uh, I couldn't go there as an undergraduate. Uh, I couldn't afford it, uh, but I got my graduate degree from LSU, so I'm an alumnus. But I always have been a fan of the LSU football team and have followed it religiously, sometimes getting very angry at the coaching, particularly when I was coaching, 
way I knew a little bit more about the game than, than I do today. But, uh, you know, I loved LSU. I, it, it was an environment that I appreciated. And I think the fact that I finally got there ingrained me to the school and I have the mindset that I, I care about it. And, and just like you care about your university or even your high school, if you didn't go to college or vocational school, that's how we want you to think about in, in your culture that you're establishing and in the relationships you build with people that you meet every day. Success wow. is about relationships and caring um, and serving. I, I didn't mention that. I, I do servant leadership training. I'm a huge proponent of that. So, so I think those three things are just some of many things um, that people can um, can look and put into place to make their organization and their life better. Um, that's what I'm about. My whole life has been service. Um, I, I get a buzz from it. That's all well, I can tell you. I get well, a buzz from it. Great uh, stuff. Uh, yeah, so. Unfortunately, we're we're at, at the hour point now, uh, and we kind of have to wrap it up. Searchingforsuccess.com is, is your website. Uh, are you doing anything where people uh, are you just doing this virtual stuff now? And well, I'm, I'm transitioning into virtual. I obviously can do live presentations whenever that starts happening again. Uh, so they can they can connect with me on the website, and uh, if anybody has a question. Uh, on my nickel, I will answer it for you. Uh, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not looking to, or you got to hire me before I give you an answer. No, right. yeah, yeah. It's, just, it's, it's how I am. I tell every audience that I've ever spoken to in the last 40 years, call me. Right. Great stuff. That, Billy, thank you for, for your insight and my information pleasure. today. And I wish you continued success and, 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 and good health. Thank you. Thank you. Same to you, Matt. Stay you well. It. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Put Me in the Story. Put Me in the Story creates personalized books for kids by taking best-selling children's picture books and well-loved characters and allowing you to create personalized books that make your child the star of the story alongside their favorite characters. Save 25% store-wide when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code SAVE25. We're also sponsored by Lovely. Lovely is your online stop for modern, irresistible, and affordable women's clothing. Never before has dressing yourself been so easy. Lovely's carefully curated selection of apparel, accessories, and outerwear are always on trend and always available at the web's best prices. Lovely is dedicated to delivering high-quality clothing to women that will make them look and feel their best. They believe every woman has the right to dress well and shouldn't have to spend a lot to love how she looks. They make it easy to wear outfits you love every day, giving you the confidence to take on the world. Lovely.com summer fashion trends are now 40% off, starting at just $5.99. Get an extra 18% off when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code JFT18. We're also sponsored by VaporDNA. Founded in 2013, VaporDNA is the premier online vape store offering an industry-leading selection of electronic cigarettes, e-liquids, and accessories. 
Their friendly and knowledgeable customer service team is always ready to provide the best customer service experience to ensure you find what you're looking for. They guarantee their products to be 100% genuine and at the lowest possible price. They're so confident in their selection and customer service, they offer their customers a 45-day refund policy. Save 20% when you click the link on MindDogTV.com and use the code ORIONQ. Billy Arshamov, folks. I hope I get that right. You know, my, my Cajun accent is not, I'm, I'm a New Yorker. I'm not good at that stuff, but I believe that's, that's as close to, uh, a Cajun accent as I can come up with. I appreciate it. I love listening to him. Uh, I appreciate what he said there. And a lot of it resonated with me. A couple of big takeaways from me. Uh, the clutter is a huge, uh, huge factor in, uh, my management. I know there's clutter in my life and, and cutting it out has been one of my great challenges. And I'm sure that resonates with you as well. If you're in management at all, or even just in your life in general, clutter is one of the big things that gets in our way. And as he said, it can take many forms and we don't often recognize what it is. Uh, so it's important to kind of identify that clutter and, and cut it out. The other part was, uh, uh, the other big takeaway is systems. I think everybody, uh, operates under a system. We know, but the, the key here is to be aware of what the system is like. Uh, and, and my mom told me this when I, when I was a young man and it still kind of r- resonates with me because she was a manager and she said, I have a system, but only I understand what it is. And so it may appear as chaos to those who are all looking in from the outside, but I have a system. And I think most of my life is operated under that same kind of operating procedure. And I'm not saying it's always the best way, <laughs> but systems are important to know what your systems is, are, are systems are, and, and be, uh, be efficient with them. That's, that's my big takeaway. And there's so much more that he said that uh, was uh, really powerful and useful. I hope you enjoyed this program. I hope you come back and tell your friends about it. Subscribe. Go to my YouTube channel. Subscribe there. Go to MindDogTV.com. Get on my mailing list so you know when I'm going to have great guests on. And it, questions and comments for me, please, info at MindDogTV.com. Once again, Billy's uh, website address is SearchingForSuccess.com. If you need to get in touch with him, that's where you're going to go. Just a quick uh, quick uh programming note i have two shows tonight which is unusual 8 p.m i have uh jeremy van winkle who's also uh from louisiana which is uh uh just a strange coincidence but he's a former uh drug addict meth addict uh meth addict who was on his deathbed basically from use of drugs who somehow uh found uh found god i would say and and turned his life around and now has a thriving thriving uh business in uh louisiana and uh He's really, really changed his life and is, uh, for the positive and is a positive influence in so many other people's lives. And he has a book out that, or, or a book that's about to come out that we're going to be talking about. Uh, so that's at 8 p.m. And then at 9 p.m., a special edition of the Mind Dog TV podcast with JJ Boyd and John LaRocca, two local comedians who are involved in a project called, uh, Helping with Humor. Uh, it's, uh, also in conjunction with Laughter save lives it's a virtual comedy event that they're using as a fundraiser for charities and stuff it's a great thing uh i think you should 
enjoy uh, join me then and we'll have some laughs and learn about their upcoming project till then i'm matt napo for the mind dog tv podcast i thank you for joining us today and uh, have a great rest of your day and bye for now will you tell me that you love me what you say will you tell me it'll be true don't talk that way but you say you never leave me what the hell well, you better do some listen to me because i got news